0: needs way more than a simple home improvement. And it's definitely not a do-it-yourself project. What would it look like to give yourself entirely to God and earnestly seek Him in every area of your life? Let God renovate and renew your heart as He makes it His home.
1: When I gave my life to Jesus, I told him, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and make my heart your home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around. This week, we headed upstairs to the bedrooms in my home. When we were in my bedroom, Jesus asked me about the picture next to my bed. That's a picture of my boyfriend, I told him. Though I knew my relationship with my boyfriend was a good one, I felt kind of funny talking with him about it. He and I were struggling with some issues, and I didn't want to discuss them with him. I tried to change the subject, but Jesus must have known what I was thinking. You are beginning to question my teaching on sex, aren't you? That it's only for those who are joined in the covenant of marriage. You're feeling I may be asking something unnatural, if not impossible, for you. You're afraid my will on this will limit the full enjoyment of life and love. Isn't that true? Yes, I confessed. Then listen carefully to what I'm saying, he continued. I forbid adultery and premarital sex not because sex is bad, but because it is good. It is a means of bonding two lives in deepening love. It has a creative power to bring human life into being. Sex is powerful. Used properly, sex has tremendous potential for good. Used improperly, it destroys the good. For this reason, God intends it to be expressed only within the commitment of a loving life partnership. There is far more to love than just sex. Let me help you in your relationship with the opposite sex. If you should fail and feel shame and guilt, know I still love you and will remain in you. Talk to me about it. Take steps to avoid it happening again. Rely on my strength and keep you from falling and lead you into a relationship of love and marriage where two truly become one in me.
0: I'm sure it won't surprise you to hear me say that we live in a very sexualized culture. And I've seen this, if you've been around for a while, you've seen this change dramatically, particularly in the last decade. We've seen the rise of so many issues that are staggering to us, shocking to us. And yet, we slowly are move in that direction because that's what we've been exposed to. There's a an author named Jonathan Grant who wrote a book called divine sex, a compelling vision for Christian relationships in a hypersexualized age. And he says this, modern society has made sex easy and in so has emptied it of its God-given meaning. And if you're a young person here today, I want you to really pay attention to what we're talking about, because this is true. It's counter to what we hear in our culture today, but what you're going to hear this morning is God's view on this sex has been redefined as a self-determined commodity that results in frustration and despair and then he goes on to describe how we've gotten to where we are today and you'll see this i've seen this transition just in the last 10 to 15 years in ministry listen to he he notices different transitions that we've gone through as a culture that has taken us where we are today he says first of all It's the separation of sex from marriage, where we see cohabitation, couples living together more than ever before. We see the separation of sex from partnership or commitment or vow. And he talks about it this way. This is sex has become temporary and recreational. We see the separation of sex literally from another person, with the advent of pornography and we're seeing some really frightening things when it comes to artificial intelligence. What we're seeing today could be just tame in light of where we're going as a culture if we don't understand what God is saying to the church and to the world about this. And finally, separation of sex from our own bodies through the questioning of the very categories of what is male and what is female. And listen to what he says. He ends this article with this, in making sex so easy and individualistic, we have cheapened it and thereby emptied it of its very power. We tried to make it simpler, and all we did was end up making it smaller. Friends, this is true. This is true. And what I want to challenge us with this morning is to reclaim a biblical understanding of what is appropriate you see, friends, sex is a God given gift to us as His people. It's for procreation, it's for having children and populating the world in a practical way. But God could have made it so that it wasn't pleasant or even desirable, but He didn't. He made it in a way that it was pleasant and in the right context, it's to be expressed. Now, I know this topic makes a lot of you very uncomfortable. I understand that. But I want you to understand the full counsel of God. I want you to understand what the Scriptures teach about all aspects of life. I would not feel responsible as a, as a pastor, particularly as we are raising up a new generation, if I was not telling them the truth of what God says. Now, what's interesting is at the time that the Apostle Paul is going to write the words that we're going to read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, at that time and at the time of Jesus, sex was rampant in the Roman Empire. If we were to put that culture next to our culture today, we would say that our culture is pretty tame with regard to this issue. It was out of control in the Roman Empire. And so the Apostle Paul is compelled on a number of, in a number of times, as well as other New Testament authors, to speak to this very issue and to make sure that Christians are not caught up in the current and the tide of the culture, but understand it, this important topic, from the perspective of God's Word. Again, I want you to hear me say, from God's perspective, sex is a gift to His people, but it's to be expressed in the right way if you have your bibles with you i want to invite you to turn to first thessalonians chapter 4 and in this passage i'm going to be reading a very powerful teaching of the apostle paul a very clear teaching of the apostle paul listen to what god says we read in beginning in verse 1 as for other matters brothers and sisters we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. So the Apostle Paul is affirming the Thessalonians in how they are living. Now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Keep on keeping on when it comes to pleasing God, when it comes to living God's way. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So now he's going to give us instructions by the authority, not of the Apostle Paul, but the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this manner, no one, should, uh, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. We're going to look at that. It's very powerful. The Lord will punish all who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a life that is holy. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but rejects God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. This is a powerful passage. And in it, I want to use it to answer three questions. If you're visiting this morning, we're doing a series that's based on a little tiny booklet that was written many years ago called My Heart, Christ's Home. And what this author did was divided the heart into different rooms of a house. And we saw in the very first week that by the Holy Spirit, Christ makes his home in your heart and in my heart. By faith in Jesus, we come alive spiritually. We're celebrating Pentecost today. And part of the message of Pentecost, as Tim said, is that the Holy Spirit comes, we become, our bodies become the temple of the Lord, and the Lord comes to live in the Spirit. And what we're seeing is, as each room of the house represents a different aspect of our lives, we are called to submit all of ourselves, all of our lives, to the leading, to the teaching, to the guidance of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we want to say that he's Lord, but he's only Lord if we submit to him. He's only Lord if we obey him. As Tim read in John 14, Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Why is that? Because obedience is an expression of trust. I'm saying, Lord, I may not understand in light of my culture, but Lord, I will follow you. I will obey you. I will serve you. I will live according to your instructions. It's the way that we honor him. It's the way that we worship him as we read in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, friends, I want us to see three questions that this passage answers. And as we answer these questions this morning, the question I want you to ask yourself is this. Is Jesus Christ really Lord over the bedroom of my life? Is he really Lord over this area of my life? Now, for some of you, you might be thinking, you know what? I, I, I think I'm, I'm doing well in this area, but <clears throat> excuse me, I know somebody who's not. And I want you to pray for them this morning. I want you to pray for them because here's what I believe. To the core of who I am, this is what I believe. The greatest freedom we will ever experience in life is when we choose to be what God created us to be. When we are not living as God intended then we are living in rebellion against him. That is not freedom. The Bible teaches that is bondage, that is slavery. Freedom is being free to be what God made me to be, what God created me to be. And so when our children were growing up, we wanted them to understand obedience, not from the perspective, I need to obey in order to get God to love me or get God to like me. He already loves you. But we obey as an expression of trust and worship and love for God, believing that this is the path of the greatest freedom. Now, that's a message that is contrary to what you'll hear in our culture. What you will hear in our culture is that the Bible robs us of fun and joy. It is absolutely untrue. Absolutely untrue. And if you get close to people who are living lives in rebellion against God, you will see there is an emptiness, there is a pain that, that is deeper than anything you can imagine. And so, friends, let's look at what these three questions that this passage addresses. And here's the first one. What is God's requirement, what does God say about sexual conduct? What does he teach about sexual conduct? We read in verses 2 and 3, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now, let's define what this means. There are three key words in this passage. The first is one that Tim mentioned earlier, and that is the word sanctified. The word sanctified means fleeing evil and embracing Jesus. It means allowing God by his spirit to transform me into the image of Jesus. So more and more I think like Jesus. More and more my desires match the desires of Jesus. More and more my life reflects the work of God and the desire of God and the will of God for your life. Friends, as I have grown many years as a Christian, what I have found is God has been sanctifying me. He has been, he has been molding and shaping me into the image of Jesus. And you know what? He's not done yet. There's a lot more work that He needs to do in my life as He, as he transforms me from the inside out, as He makes me into a new creation. And that by the presence of the Holy Spirit, is what God is doing in your life. But we participate in that process by choosing to be rooted in Jesus, by choosing to allow Jesus to be the authority of our lives, not our culture, not our desires, not our ambitions, not our dreams, not the ambitions others have for us, but the purposes that God created us for. That's where life is found. And so, we see this, that God is calling us to be sanctified. That means fleeing evil and embracing the teachings of Jesus. Now, there's two other key words that I want you to see here. The next is the word abstain. It's the word abstain. And this is what it means. It means staying completely away from any thought. It's not just action, friends. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said this. But I tell you, if you look with lust upon another, you're already guilty of committing adultery. So it goes not just from our actions, but it affects our thoughts as well and our desires. God wants to make those holy as well. He wants to sanctify that as well. And so we are to abstain, to stay completely away from any thought or behavior that violates the principles of God's Word and results in any act of sexual sin. Now, here's the key word in this passage, and that's the phrase sexual immorality, I want to define this for you as it would have been understood by the Apostle Paul, as it would have been understood by the people who were reading that in the church at Thessalonica. There was teaching that was very consistent, and this is very specific language in the Greek language, which is far more precise than English. And so this is what he's saying. Sexual immorality is any sexual sin that deviates From the monogamous, that means faithful relationship between a husband, one man, and a wife, one woman. This is how this passage would have been understood by the Apostle Paul. This is how this passage would have been understood by the people who received this letter in the first century. Now, this was miles away from the culture of the day. It was very different from the culture of the day. Just as this passage is very different from what we hear and what we read of our culture today. So what does it mean? It means the passage speaks against adultery in our minds or even in in, in our actions. It speaks against pornography, which is an increasingly uh, problematic issue In our culture today because of the advent of the internet and social media it's become a huge problem and not just for men it tends to affect men more but women as well homosexuality which we're going to talk about this summer sex while dating cohabitation and so on and what we're going to see in this passage is why this matters now we had a, uh, a young woman in my last church who was a student at a university. And she came home for Christmas break and she shared with a couple of us as pastors that there was a guy that she was dating who was pressuring her to compromise her biblical understanding, what w- would, uh, biblical understanding we had taught at our church on this issue. And what he was saying was that that our teaching was wrong, that God doesn't care, that it's a victimless act. In fact, it's a great way to celebrate love. And we took her to this very passage, and we showed her in the original language what it is that God is instructing us. Friends, even people in churches will claim, because of where our culture has gone today, will claim that this is not a sin. That is not what God teaches. He calls us to sexual purity. So, here's the second question I want you to see this morning, and that is this. How can I be sexually pure? How can I live a sexually pure life? I mean, in this culture today, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? And the world is dramatically different from the world I grew up in and even dramatically different than the world my children grew up in. And my oldest is 34. Did I get it right? Our oldest is 34 and the world today dramatically different when it comes to this topic. And so we've seen culture change rapidly. And the tendency is for the church to begin to change along with it. We want to be rooted in the authority of the Word of God. We don't want to be rooted in the authority of our culture. We want to be rooted in the authority of our Lord and His Word. And so, what do we see here? We see in verses 4 to the first part of verse 6... Paul says, each of us should learn to control our own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. Well, let's look at the three things that Paul identifies as reasons why we should seek to be pure. Here's the first one. Because we are to be, how is it that we can be sexually pure? We choose to take control of our bodies. We choose to take hold of our bodies. Now, why does this matter? I want you to hear this. In the Old Testament, they believed God lived in what was called the Holy of Holies. It was also called the most holy place. It was a very small room at the very center of the temple. And this is where God was particularly present, they believed. The Bible says that the moment that Jesus died, on the cross, God took the curtain and He tore it from top to bottom. Now, why is that significant? Because we no longer need to be separated from a holy God. By faith in Jesus, we have been made righteous. We have been made holy. And by being made holy, by being made righteous, on the day of Pentecost, God could come to live in our hearts By faith, the Holy Spirit came to live in our hearts. God came to live in our lives. And the Bible says, now the temple of God is our bodies. This is the place of worship. Listen to what it says in Romans 12, verse 2. Listen to the, or verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your bodies, as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What is he saying? He's saying that through my body, I am offering everything to him. He lives with me. There's nothing that I think. There's nothing that I do. There's no desire that I have that God does not see. And the same is true for you. God is present in every room of your life. God is present in every place in your life. He is present in you and with you. And your body is to be offered to him as a living sacrifice. So what does this mean? Each of us needs to control our bodies. And it means more than just our sexuality. It also has impact on how we treat our bodies, how we feed our bodies, how we take care of our bodies. It has to do with every decision that we make that affects our bodies, which is just about every decision we make. And we are to control our bodies in a way that is honorable. That is worshipful to the Lord our God. Now, I know that this is very, very convicting for all of us. All of us. Friends, I want to share with you something that I've learned in my life when it comes to temptation. When I am tempted in an area I've never, I've never given into before... I have this big wall around my life. The minute I give into it, that wall starts to come down. I did really well about a year ago with my diet. Oh, I was so disciplined. I didn't touch cake, didn't touch peanut butter M&Ms. I was so disciplined. But you know what happened? I just thought, "Oh, just a couple is not going to matter." have you been there? That's not going to matter. Oh, if I just do, it's not going to, you know what happens? The wall starts to come down, and now the enemy has a foothold in my life. When it comes to the area of sexuality, the same is true. When we compromise, that wall comes down a little, and now the enemy has a foothold into that area of our lives. Now, I don't want to leave you hopeless because here's what I know. As we saw in in week one, God has the power to reclaim and to transform. God can set us free and rebuild that wall, but we have to choose that we want it. We have to choose, and then we have to make decisions to not put ourselves in a place where it's easy for us to compromise again. Here's a second A second answer to the question, how can I be sexually pure? And that is that we're to live differently than our culture lives. Friends, what's tragic today, and we see this in many, many different surveys that are done of Christians, our lives do not often look that much different from the ways that people who don't believe in God live. That should not be right. We should live lives that are dramatically different particularly as culture moves further and further away from God, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Now, what does that have to do with? Back in that day, back in that day, there were a lot of different religions. And and a lot of these religions had prostitutes at their temples. Because one of the ways that you engaged in their religion was through the prostitutes. And Paul is saying, not in passionate lust like the pagans, who do not know God. Who do not know God. And so God wants us to be passionate about Him. Not have our desires drive us in a direction He didn't intend. But to have our desires drive us into His arms to be empowered to live a life that honors Him. We keep going. And we see third we should not take advantage of others. Friends, I have seen where this area, we end up taking advantage of people. Because for our culture today, sex is really about recreation. It's really about just having fun and pleasing myself. And when that's our motivation, it has nothing to do with love. Love is having a desire to bless another person not to take advantage of them for your own enjoyment, but is to love them, is to serve them, is to want what is best for them. I remember when um, we were blessed, and that both Beth and I grew up in really um, strong in this area of our lives through the teaching that we received. Uh, for me, the instruction I received as a child growing up in my home. Uh, and Beth, I think probably much the same. But also then, when we became believers, and one of the things that um, that was important to me is that when I dated a girl, when I went out with a girl, that I would treat her in a way that I would want some guy treating my future wife. I wanted to treat that girl like I wanted somebody to treat my future wife, because it matters. It matters. And so I want you to think about that as men and women, as young men and young women, treating another person that you might be dating in a way that you would want somebody treating your future spouse. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. And we were blessed and honored that we were both both faithful to that all the way through to our marriage. I want to um, share with you the last question, that is, why should I be sexually pure? I mean, let's face it, our culture today mocks people who are sexually pure. But this is, the passage talks about this. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but rejects God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Friends, in my life, when I was pastoring a church just a decade ago, our young people every year had something they called a purity gathering, and it would be for all the churches in our area, and we would host it at our church. And I mean, I don't even hear about these things anymore. But at that time, we would have all of our youth group and youth from other places would be together, teenagers, to hear about God's teaching, to be called to sexual purity, and then to celebrate that together. We are so far from that as a culture today. But I want you to hear what Paul says here about why I should be. God gives us a warning. And as I thought about this, I thought about the different areas of life where we are damaged by not living according to God's design. I mean, I think all of us agree, or most of us I'm sure agree, that adultery is not God's design, and it's very damaging. I don't think I have to convince you of that. But recreational sex, as we see it portrayed in songs, in in, um, videos, in Uh, TV movies and shows. It's a far cry from what God wants for us. Why? First of all, physical. I mean, the, the possibility of spreading disease and affecting your marriage in the future. I know people who have been damaged that way, and it significantly affects their future with their spouse. Emotional. Friends, God calls us in marriage to make a covenant together, to, to make a vow together. It's not that much unlike the vow we make to the Lord. It vows, God takes vows very seriously. And we make a covenant. When Beth and I got married, we made a covenant to one another. And part of that covenant was that we would always be faithful to each other. And then, sex in that context, is a celebration of the oneness that God wants for us. And here's the reality. When we give ourselves to another person in that way, there is a connection that happens that is very powerful and can create havoc in not just that relationship, but in relationships to come. God intended it to be a celebration of the oneness that we have in Christ. God now sees us not as two, but once we have made that covenant, He sees us as one. And that expression is a joyful expression in the context of that covenant. And it, when it's not in the context of that covenant, it could create emotional challenges, spiritual challenges, when we're not living as God intended. There was a, um, I read this powerful story about A Brooklyn Nine actor, uh, Terry Crews, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it's a TV show, Um, he opened up recently about his addiction to pornography, which is a very difficult, challenging addiction. But it is an addiction. And this man, who's not a believer, said this, hey man, you can't really be addicted to, uh," he said, some people say to me, hey man, you can't really be addicted to pornography. And he said, but I'm going to tell you something. If day turns into night and you're still watching, you probably have a problem. It changes the way you think about people. Now, listen to this people become objects, we objectify them. This is how we damage each other. We objectify one another. He goes on to say, he goes on to say, people become body parts, they become things to be used rather than people to be loved. Every time I watched it, I was walled off. It was like another brick that came between me and my wife. And the truth is, everything you need for intimacy is in, is, is found in your spouse. Amen? This is what God intends. But we live in a culture where this is a battle. I know that. We go on and we say, because of God's will. For God did not call us to be impure, but he called us to live a life that is holy. We read on, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but is rejecting God himself, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Friends, I want to close with this this story, because I think one of the challenges is if I've made a mistake in the past, which almost everybody has, if I made a mistake in the past, how can I move into the future without it being something that is impairing, without it being something that is a struggle? Well, let me share with you a story that I came across this week that absolutely blew my mind. It's about a guy named Beckett Cook, who had a really successful career as a produce, production designer in the fashion world. During that time, he lived as a gay man in Hollywood. He said, I had many boyfriends over the years, attended Pride parades, marched in innumerable rallies for gay marriage equality. My identity as a gay man was immutable, or so I thought. In 2009, he met Jesus. Listen to what he says I walked into the church as a gay atheist, and I walked out two hours later, a born again Christian, in love with Jesus. I was stunned by this reversal. Since then, I no longer identify as gay, but rather I choose to be celibate because I believe God's plan and purpose revealed in the Bible is authoritative, is true, and is good. And so he's made a decision in his life, and it came with all sorts of costs. But he made a decision, and then he said this. I've got to read this to you. He said, I'm not claiming complaining or claiming to be a victim, what I gained is Christ is absolutely priceless. Like the Apostle Paul, I'm learning to count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Yes, the loss of close friendships and a lucrative career were harsh, but being in the kingdom of God and walking in his steps more than compensates. Do you believe it? In any area of your life, do you believe it? Friends, this is Memorial Day weekend. It's a weekend in which we honor men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. For our freedom. It matters to me. I didn't grow up in a military family, but I married into a military family. And I learned to really honor and respect our service people, and particularly those who gave up their life or had a loved one give up their life for our freedom but I wonder if you and I aren't choosing spiritual slavery today God wants to set you free but it comes at the cost of sacrificing ourselves to follow Jesus if you're struggling with an area of that we've talked about this morning you're not alone you're not alone and as we talked about in the first week, in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, Jesus has the power to set you free. To set you free. To bring freedom to your life, to bring freedom to your relationships, to bring freedom to your marriage. If you've made mistakes in the past, confess those to the Lord. Let the Lord, Lord's forgiveness and love just wash over you and ask him to set you free from all that stuff. But it takes a decision that you and I need to make to invite Jesus into those areas of our life. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we come to worship you this morning. We come to honor you this morning. We come to celebrate you this morning. And Father, we read that these instructions do not come from, you, from the Apostle Paul, but from you, O Lord. And so as hard as it is in our culture today, we receive them. Lord, I want to pray for any right now who are just dealing with regret, maybe dealing with feeling convicted. In this moment, if that's you, would you just offer that to the Lord and ask him to bring healing to your life? to restore you, to set you free. And if you're someone here today who's made decisions in the past and you can see how it's affected you, maybe in the intimacy of your marriage, would you lift that to the Lord and just ask God to redeem that? It's the power of God who rose Jesus from the dead. He wants to redeem that for you today. Maybe you know somebody this morning who is struggling, and would you just lift them in prayer right now? And, oh, God, I just ask that you would bring renewal to your people, healing to your people, joy to your people, purpose to your people, that they could say like this man, the joy of knowing Christ is greater than any sacrifice we could ever make. And Jesus, we utter this prayer in the knowledge of your sacrifice for us that we might have life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. (music)